0: All right, if you would, let's open our Bibles once again to Luke's Gospel in the ninth chapter. Gospel of Luke, chapter number nine is where we'll be once again this morning. Last week we looked at verses 18 through 27. This week we're going to focus on verses 57 through 62. In the text that we're about to read, we're going to encounter three would-be disciples this month we've been thinking continuously about what does that word mean what does it mean to be uh, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ what does it mean to uh, are there differences between being a Christian and being a disciple Uh, we've answered that over and over Uh, We're going to see this morning in the the encounter that Jesus has with three would-be disciples, and we're going to see how they take to the notion of the things that the Lord Jesus uh, brings to their attention. So look with me at Luke chapter 9. Begin reading at verse 57, and I want to speak to you upon hindrances to discipleship. Hear now the word of the true and living God. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man hath nowhere to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury the dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to it this day. Father, that you would take this text and you you would make it effectual make it real to every heart to every mind to every soul to every life father i pray that you would give us eyes to see what it is that you have before us give us ears to hear hearts to receive what you have for us and wills to apply we pray that your word would go forth and accomplish what it is that you have intended for it because we know that it will We know that it will not return to you void, and we give you praise for that. All these things we ask in Jesus' holy name, amen. Our focus for the month has been discipleship. We've been thinking greatly about what does it mean to be true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the series, we've been poking holes through that long-standing idea that being a Christian and being a disciple are... Two completely different things. That is not so. One does not repent and believe the gospel, placing their faith in Jesus for the salvation of their soul, become a Christian, and then later on, as they go on in their Christian life, if they read their Bibles every day, come to church on a regular basis, maybe become a deacon or a pastor, then do they, do they become a, a graduate? Do they graduate to become a disciple? That is not true. The words of believer, Christian, and disciple are interchangeable. They are three different names for the same creature. They all mean someone who is a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus never called those that followed him Christians. You recall, if you know your Bible in the book of Acts, which uh, we're studying on Wednesday nights, they were not called Christians first until Antioch. And we have seen and we, we've seen revealed to us from several passages in the scripture that salvation and discipleship go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. If you desire to have your sins forgiven and be spared the wrath of God for all eternity, then you must repent, which is turning from sin. And at the same time as you turn away from sin, you must trust. And that trusting in the Lord Jesus is turning to Him. And there you cannot stay in this imagined gulf in between repentance and trusting Jesus. No, you have to turn all the way to Jesus, take up your cross, and follow Him. And again, as I said in the first initial message in this series, this isn't pushing salvation by works. Our Lord Jesus Christ paid it all upon the cross. You and I do not have to strive to receive God's forgiveness that came by grace through, to, by the grace of God through the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. All that you and I have to do in order to be saved is believe in that finished work. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus indeed paid it all. I love that hymn that we sing so very often. He paid it all. He did all the work. Salvation is not a work. The Christian life is a work it is hard to be a christian it is the most difficult thing a person can do is be a born again child of god that's why over and over and over jesus would tell people through uh, we, we think of that text that i've quoted in the last several weeks strive to enter in at the narrow gate Enter ye in at the narrow gate. It's narrow. That path is narrow. You've got things that are encroaching onto you on every side, and you have to strive to get to that gate on that narrow path. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. The the way of the world is wide. It's broad. It's a multi-lane highway, but it leads to destruction. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Probably two of my... Favorite verses in the whole entire Bible. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. The very faith that you have to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ is not even derived of yourself. It is a gift of God. Why? Not of works so that no man should boast. When we are all, when we all do finally get to heaven and we surround the throne of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only boasting that's going to be done is on him. And what... He did what he has done, how great he is, not on anything that you or I would have done. However, if that faith is true, if that is true saving faith, that faith will bear fruit. It will bear fruit. And if it's not saving faith, it's going to bear fruit of that as well. I think of my children. My children bear resemblance to Jesse and I. Because we're their parents. They're, they have similar physical features of Jesse and I, but if you were to draw their blood, their DNA is going to say they come from Jesse and I because they're our children. They're, 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 they come from us. The Christian, the disciple, is to bear fruit, is to have features that say we belong to Jesus. And the way a person does that is going to touch, like I said last week, every area of your life when i asked you that question last week is who is jesus to you to the real disciple to the real follower of the lord jesus christ he is all in all he is the epitome of existence we say at christmas time that jesus is the reason for the season he's the reason for the season and he's the reason for all things he is all in all he is the giver of all things good he is the author and the finisher of our faith To the true disciple, the Lord Jesus Christ is precious, precious. Now, often in our discussions in Sunday school and on Wednesday night and when I preach, I I, I preach about those who profess to be saved, but they don't bear any fruit. They live no different than the rest of the world. They may have made a profession, but they left the church. They went went right back out into the world. They may have walked an aisle, they may have prayed a prayer, may have even been baptized in every baptismal and river and creek from here to Timbuktu, but they live just like the world. We would say that is not genuine, a genuine representation of a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. That person would need to examine themselves and test themselves to see if they are truly of the faith. But what about the ones who make the profession and attend on a regular basis But that's it. They don't do anything else. They never open a Bible apart from Sunday morning. They never bow their head to pray apart from Sunday morning, and even then it's not them praying, they're listening to somebody else. They never get involved because supposedly they're not called to do that. Yet they never they can never tell you exactly what it is they're called to do. But they think that mere attendance is what being a true follower of Christ is all about. That's not discipleship either. We should desire, if we are true, born-again children of God, we should desire to be the real deal. If Christ has saved us, He commands first place in our lives, and you know what? He deserves it. He deserves first place in our lives. And following Jesus is risky, and it's costly. The command to follow Jesus if obeyed will bring about the salvation of one's soul. And it is a command that's not to be put off. There is much urgency in the gospel command to follow Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, verse 4. He saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in a day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow, we put things off to tomorrow. Well, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll get to it later. I'll get to it tomorrow. Tomorrow is the devil's day. Today is the Lord's day. Your eternal salvation is not something to be put on the back burner. You don't know how much time that you have upon this earth. I'm reminded of the text that was read to us when we went to that uh, youth revival recently. James chapter 4 verse 14 says, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. Your life is but a vapor. A vapor which appears for a little while and then vanishes away. We don't know. We don't know how much time we have remaining. We don't know. We don't know if we're promised 90 plus years or another 90 minutes. At the same time as much as there is a the call to salvation, the call to being a true follower of the Lord Jesus Christ is an urgent call. It's also a weighty call. It's not something to be entered into lightly. The command of Jesus to follow him is a call to flee from sin to be spared eternal wrath, but it is also a command to come and die. A command to come and die. Come and die to yourself. Die daily to yourself and to your desires and to put Jesus first above all else. He is to be the top priority over father, mother, siblings, children, spouses, and even ourselves. He is to be more important to you than your own self. The command to take up one's cross daily and follow Jesus is a call to die to yourself daily, every day. It is a call to be willing to die for the cause of Christ. Jesus is not saying, now go out and get yourself killed for the gospel. There is a crown for that. And if the Lord sees fit for you or I to glorify him in that way, then by by his grace and his grace alone, we can do it. That's not one that I'm chasing after. But Jesus is saying here he is to be the center of our lives and we are to follow him even in the face of death, even if it costs us our lives. How many in churches today never give a moment's thought as to what it means to truly follow Jesus? I'd be willing to say more than half. More than half of church attendees in North America, I would say, would call, they would call themselves Christians, but their interest in Jesus is a casual one part-time pursuit it's more like a hobby and not their first priority they are not students or learners as to the lord of the lord jesus is what the word disciple means disciple means someone who is a learner that would be the majority view of the average church attendee and maybe even uh, uh, the 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 majority view of many of most of the churches here in america Most of the churches of this day are concerned with keeping in step with the times and being on the popular side of issues, issues that society celebrates, but yet God condemns through his word. Yet there are loud and leading voices in popular evangelical Christianity that cry that we need to accept these things. Notice I said that many churches today desire to be on the popular side and not on the biblical side. Being biblical doesn't draw huge crowds. In fact, it turns them away. That's what Jesus did. Jesus' invitations were not coaxing and emotion filled. He didn't ask for lights to be lowered and everyone lower their heads and close their eyes and play a a slow song over and over and over to coax people to come make some uh, uh, emotion filled decision. Jesus did not beg people to come and make decisions. That is modern evangelism. It's a focal point. The, it's focal point. The focal point of modern evangelism is a moment in time and not a lifetime. I've heard many a well-meaning and well-intended person say, think back to the time when you made the decision to follow Jesus. That's not what we put our trust in. We don't put our, tr- we don't put our trust in a time when we did something We're looking back, but we're looking back to what Jesus has done. We're looking back to what Jesus has done to his finished work. And the Holy Spirit draws us to saving faith in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And that faith leads to a complete overhaul, complete and utter change and a lifetime pursuit of following Jesus. Jesus does not seek mere decisions. I've said this over and over and over. He does not want decisions. He wants disciples. He purposely thinned out the crowd. Jesus only uh, wanted those who were truly devoted to him. All others need not apply. In our text, Jesus has an encounter with three would-be disciples, and the subject of their conversation is following Jesus. And I say would be because we don't have any indication that they did leave all and follow Jesus. In fact, the lack of saying whether they did or didn't is a pretty good indicator that they didn't heed Jesus' command and follow him. Our outline this morning uh, is based off of these three different guys. We have the hasty man, the hesitant man, and the homebound man. Look with me at verse 57. We see the hasty man. Look what it says. He says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. The parallel text to this is found in Matthew's gospel, Matthew uh, chapter 8. I'm going to read a portion of that to you beginning in verse 18. It says, Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. So the, when we take what is written for us in Matthew's gospel, we know that this guy who's, who's hasty, who's, who's, who's in such a hurry to follow Jesus, he's a scribe. And you know the, the kind of person this is, the kind who is, who's been driven to some high point of emotion. And that's where this man is. He is very eager. He has been seeing all the, the miracles that Jesus has done. And, Jesus, and, and, and if you read Matthew 8, you read the miracles that he did in the guy's presence. He heals a leper. He heals a, a, centurion, a centurion servant. He, he heals that man's servant, never even lays eyes on him, doesn't touch him. The centurion says, look, uh, uh, you know, my, my servant is lying sick of palsy and grievously tormented. Jesus says, I will come and heal him. But the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. But speak thy word only and my servant shall be healed. And Jesus was so impressed at the man's faith that that's what he did. Right there on the spot. Never laid physical eyes on the man and he healed him. He healed the centurion's servant. And so this, this scribe is seeing these things and he's seeing these things being done and now he is overcome with this emotion. He's overcome with emotion and, and now he, he, he decides to, to, I'm gonna follow Jesus. I've seen it all. He's been part of that crowd. He's had that firsthand experiences, and now he's astounded. He's attracted to Jesus. He reaches the, the highest level of devotion in his mind, and he says, Man, I'm going to stop being a scribe, and I'm going to follow Jesus. This guy is the only one out of the three who approaches Jesus. Jesus approaches and initiates the conversation with the other two gentlemen. Here in verse 57, the guy comes up and tells Jesus that he will follow Jesus wherever he goes. This is the hasty man. And we can make an app, some application here. This is the guy who wants all of his problems solved. He thinks that following Jesus is the solution to all of his earthly problems. As many in Luke 14, when Jesus looked, you recall when I preached from that text, Jesus looked behind him and saw all those, those masses of people, crowds and crowds and crowds of people, myriads of people following him. Some were just following him because they heard, hey, this guy hadn't too long fed 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread a few fish. Some of them may have just been following from the whole, the whole entire time since the feeding and said, hey, maybe we'll get to eat again. So this hasty man here merely goes to church, prays a prayer, and joins because he thinks all of his problems will just wash away... Just by being a Christian, and from then on out, he can have and enjoy a life of ease. Job chapter 14, verse 1 tells us Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of what? Trouble. Trouble. This life is not easy. And once you become a Christian, it's not going to get any easier. Romans chapter 8 verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers under the pains of childbirth together until now. We live in a fallen and sin-cursed world. And just because you get saved does not protect you from the things that happen and transpire in this fallen world. eternity's taken care of. Eternity is set. Eternity is sealed. The Lord Jesus is sealed. The Holy Spirit has sealed you to, until the day of redemption. You are His. You belong to God. Eternity is sealed. But you're still subject to things that happen in this life. Following Jesus does not make all earthly troubles just disappear. Just ask those Christians right now in Afghanistan. I wish they did. I wish the very second that a person comes to save in faith in Jesus that we're placed in this actual bubble and protected from anything and everything bad happening to us the rest of our lives and we just live out the coast through the rest of our lives in ease and prosperity until we're old and just all die peacefully in our sleep or either be like Elijah and he just translate us out of here. Escape death altogether. That's not reality, is it? No, we live in this fallen, sin-cursed world. Names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, saved, ready, ready to go whenever the Lord calls us. But we're still subject to the groanings of this present age, and following Jesus brings its, brings with it its own groanings and difficulties. And that is why Jesus tells the, that is what Jesus tells the hasty man, and the hasty man can't deal with that reality. Look what it says. Look what it says in verse fifty-eight. Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, birds of the airs have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. What's Jesus saying, telling this man? He said, look, I'm homeless. I have nothing of earthly value. Our Lord Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the Father on the throne, was homeless while he walked on this earth. The sinless son of God, and when he came to earth as a baby, there was no room for him and his earthly parents anywhere. What did they have to do? Sleep in a cave where they kept animals. And lay him where? In an animal's feeding trough. He says, look, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus did not have a home to sleep in. When during his earthly ministry, he would he would have to rely on the kindness of others for lodging or he slept in boats and sleep under open sky. Jesus is saying attachment. Jesus is saying here that attachment to worldly things cannot be found in the heart of his disciples. Now, this guy did not count the cost. He was so ready to go. He's pumped. He's primed. He's ready to go. I'm going to follow this guy. He can do some neat stuff, and he can just fix everything that ever goes wrong with me, and everything will be fine. But following is what what the, the command that Jesus says, follow. That means more than just right here and now. That means continuous. That means go on. That means beyond that moment. From now on, for the rest of your life, Jesus says, follow me. Dr. John MacArthur writes, when Jesus called people to be his disciples, he did not call people to be his sidekicks or admirers that he could entertain with miracles. He called people to yield their lives completely and unreservedly to his lordship. Jesus is saying, you want to follow me? Well, that's great, but you've got to be willing to experience hardship. You have to be okay with being uncomfortable. You have to be willing to be uncomfortable. That is something that is hard for us to to get our grips on here in the West. We don't look for ways to make things harder, do we? No, we look for things to be easier. I know some of you, many of you, we talk on Wednesday nights that are much older than me that talk about how things used to be, about how they used to be without all the comforts of the day. Living without air conditioning. God help you. Woo. Living, you know, with things called ice boxes and not just, and not the refrigerators and the deep freezers that we have today. Right? Would you go back? Would you Would you willingly go back to that? No. Most of us, are the, you know, well, I... I'd be willing to negotiate with giving up a few things, but I ain't parting with that air conditioning. I'll tell you that right now. I ain't parting with it. I, I, got to, I got to keep it at 75 or below. Uh, I ain't willing to part with that, right? Comforts are not, are not always a, a bad thing. Technology and, and comforts are, 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 are not inherently evil, but if we aren't careful, our pursuit of trying to be comfortable can become a serious hindrance to our walk with the Lord. We should just have the right mindset about the, 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 the blessings that God gives us. Listen to this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Not that I speak from want, for I learn to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in abundance. In any and all things I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need. How did he do it? He tells us in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's how, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace alone, we can make it through anything. We can endure all hardships. We can endure all circumstances. He is the blessing giver and the ultimate blessing. He is the blessing giver and at the same time, the ultimate blessing. He is the ultimate prize. So as long as we are are His, as long as that we are His disciple, as long as that we are following Him, He is our greatest comfort. That we can be, and because of Him, we can be content. No matter what, this hasty man didn't realize that. He was too fixated on the fact that, man, I'm a scribe, I make a pretty, pretty good living, I've got a place to eat, I've got food readily available. Yeah, this guy says he's homeless. I don't know about following him. Hear these words in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. The Apostle Paul again writes, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. But where do we put our hope then? On God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. This is a reminder that whatever riches that we enjoy in this world, they're not going to last. They're not going to last. I don't care how nice that Harley-Davidson is. It's eventually going to break down. I don't care how beautiful, how elaborate that home is. Eventually, the roof's going to leak. Eventually, things in it, the wire's going to go bad. It's going to need to be replaced. They are fleeting. They will not last. And you and I brought nothing into this world, and we ain't taking anything out of it when we go. If we have food and clothing, we should be content. You want to follow Jesus? Then you must be content in all things whether you have a lot or whether you have nothing. Christ should be your all and therefore we are to be content in all things. This is a hard thing to hear for the average American, the average upper middle class family that has to have a new car every couple of years, take multiple vacations a year, wear the finest clothes, own boats, own motorcycles, have huge houses with huge mortgages. This is a hard sell for them to forsake all of that be willing to let all of that go be willing to let all of that go by the wayside for a life of potential poverty for what is most precious to them is their comforts and not the Christ every time I read this passage and I read the the passage of the stony ground here I think of a couple of guys that I'm friends with Uh, they remind me of the hasty fellow both are friends of mine Both have made professions, both made professions and then dove into reading the Bible. One even took some online Bible courses. That guy served in the church. We attended the same church together, and he served in there doing different things. But to my knowledge, neither one of those friends of mine are walking with the Lord currently. One I lost touch with because he moved away. The other I do keep up with some, but he's continuing to live and His relationship outside of marriage never attends the church any longer where we were both attending together and isn't attending anywhere else that I know of. They come to my mind whenever I think of the hasty man or the stony ground here because they quickly professed that they would follow. Some event happened that just driven them to this emotion filled decision that Jesus is just going to be the quick fix. He's going to be the uh, a quick fix to my problems. And when, when, when I come to him and I say these things and I do these things, it's all going to stop and everything's just going to be perfect from here on out. They didn't come for the right reasons. And because they didn't come for the right reasons, they did not continue to follow. I pray one day they will. You think about that old hymn, we sing it sometimes too, Where he leads me I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow with him, with him all the way. Will you? Will you? I'm asking you this morning, will you follow Jesus? Are you truly following Jesus? Will you follow him wherever he goes all the way to the day that he calls you home? Point number two, we see the hesitant man. Look what it says in verse 59. And he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. The Lord commands the the next two guys to follow him. This is the gospel invitation. This is a gospel invitation to follow him immediately, follow him immediately right now and follow him forever. Follow him. The one we are calling the hesitant man says that he will follow Jesus, but there was something that was hindering him. There was something that was hindering this man. He was hesitant about following Jesus. He says, Lord, first let me go bury my father. And Jesus responds to that hesitant man by saying, "Let the dead bury the dead." Now, how many of you have, have read that uh, throughout the years and thought, "Man, Jesus being a little insensitive there," you know? How how you know he, he should have just let that guy go and bury his father? He might have been, you know. Maybe he was an only child. Maybe he needed to make sure that his mother was going to be uh, tended to. She's a widow now. Uh, you know, maybe he needs to, you know, make sure things like that are, are taken care of before he follows Jesus. Shouldn't Jesus be, you know, more understanding? Well, if you study uh, uh, Jewish history, you'll find out that the phrase "Go and bury my father" was a phrase that did not always mean that the father was dead. And of course, the Lord Jesus being the second person of the Godhead, he could see that man's heart. And he knew if this guy, he knew what this guy was telling him to be truth, to be true or not. In ancient Jewish custom, that saying, go and bury my father, didn't have to necessarily mean that he was dead. It could have meant that he was dying. It could have meant that he was in his latter years. It could have meant that he was on his deathbed, and he was saying, you know, I I, I go bury my father, meaning I'm going to stay close by because when he passes, I'm going to see to the conclusion of his estate. That man was hesitating to follow Jesus because he wanted to collect his inheritance first. So the man was hesitant because he, he was not sure if following Jesus was a foolproof, safe plan. He wanted to get his inheritance and make sure that he had a safety net in case following Jesus didn't pan out like he thought that it would. The man was hesitating in order to get what he thought was a guarantee on his future. He's saying, look, I've lived too long to leave now without my inheritance. I'll follow you. But I was just listening to that conversation you just had with that other fellow and you, you 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 said that you didn't have anywhere to lay your head. Your resources are meager. You can't promise anything. You you can't promise prosperity. So I, I think it would be better for me if I just hang around here, wait till my father uh, passes. I've been waiting for my inheritance all these years as it is and I'll pad my pockets and, and, and when I'm in a good uh, foolproof, have a good fallback position, you know, and that way, if things work out, then I have a fallback plan. This man was hesitant. This man was hesitant to come and follow Jesus because he was unsure about it. And so he had to cling on the worldly stuff to make sure that he would be taken care of. I must bury my father. I'll follow, I'll follow you, you know, someday, but... Not right now. The man was amazed at Jesus's power. He was attracted to it, but he loved money more. He loved money more. He's like the weedy soil in the parables of the kingdom. You know, it says the seed went into the soil that was full of weeds and the weeds choked it out. And Jesus explained that as the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of richesness which choked the seed. So here's the the guy's response. Something pops up, looks, looks like life, but the love of the things of the world, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches choke out the life. He said, I've waited too long not to be able to cash in. I want what my father has. I want what's coming to me. But Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. Jesus says to him as, as, as a rebuke, he says, Allow the dead to bury their own dead, but you go proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. This reveals that the man didn't have good intentions, not honorable intentions. If, if there was a decaying body sitting at home, Jesus wouldn't have said that. This man's hesitant intentions weren't good. And Jesus said, Jesus' meaning, let the spiritually dead... What that means is is the unconverted people. Let the people of the world, let the people of the world who are outside the kingdom of God take care of the dead. Leave the temporary things of the world to temporal people. Leave the matters of of the temporal kingdom to the people who live in that kingdom. You were called to come out of that and come into the kingdom of God and for the rest of your life go and proclaim the glories of that kingdom. Jesus is calling that man to let go of the kingdom of this world, even its good elements, even its, uh, in all its responsibilities. I mean, that it, it, it's, it, it's clearly, again, an indication that Jesus knew what was in that man's heart. He says, I want to wait to, till my father dies, and Jesus would be long gone by then. You know who knows how 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 much longer it would be. We don't get that picture, but we see that his priorities were messed up. Secular matters belong to secular people. Jesus is saying, "You're telling me that you want to follow me and you want to follow me into the kingdom of God. Then forget the world, forget the secular world, and do what relates to this kingdom, to His kingdom. And what's that? Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What does that mean?" Go and share the gospel. Go and proclaim the gospel, because proclaiming the kingdom of God is simply telling people how they can enter into the kingdom. Third, we see the homebound man. We've seen the hesitant man, we've seen the uh, uh, hasty man, the hesitant man, and now the homebound man. Look what it says in verse 61. And another also said, "Lord, I will follow thee, but first, but let me first go bid them farewell which are at home at my house. This guy just wants to go home. He's like me all day long while I'm at work. I just want to go home. As soon as I punch in, I want to go home. I'm singing that Blake Shelton song all day long. Let me go home. The, The man said that he would follow, and then here's again, but he wanted to go home first and tell everyone goodbye. You know, it's often been said that when a person throws a butt in the middle of a sentence, they didn't really mean everything that they said before the butt. To want to go and tell the people at home what he was about to that he was about to follow Jesus, that sounds like a reasonable request. Let me go tell my parents, let me go tell my wife and kids that I'm coming with you, and that way they won't be expecting me and they won't be worried about, you know, where I'm at. The home man homebound says, I will follow eventually just not today but maybe someday do you relate to this the thinking you know someday i will completely devote myself to following jesus but first i have other things to attend to first i've got i've got other stuff that's that's going on i've got other things that i've got to tend to before i can devote my life to following jesus Following Jesus with all my heart, with all my soul is something that I would like to do, but right now in this moment, it's not my top priority. Guess what? It should be. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, we read these words about the deity of Christ. It says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation? For in him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. He's first. He's first. He's first because he is God. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. And this one that we quote often, Matthew six thirty three: Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness him first he comes first before all things before parents before siblings before spouses before children before your own self christ must come first he is to be the top priority of our lives jonathan edwards says the seeking of the kingdom of god is the chief business of the christian life it's not a secondary or a back burner endeavor to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is to have uh, the following of Jesus be the thing which defines who you are as a person. I'm not a pa- I don't want people to know that I'm a pastor. I want people to know that I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to be defined by the secular job that I have. That's just the, an ends to a means. That's just a means to an end, right? I want to be identified By him, by following him, being known through him, what he did, who he is, what he's done. Jesus gives this homebound man the strongest rebuke of the three. Look what he says. He says, and no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus once again uses an agrarian reference to reference that agricultural society of that time. All of you who grew up on farms or still grow gardens. What do you know about plowing fields, right? If you're doing this, it don't matter whether you're holding on to a a, 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 a handheld plow, if you got a team of mules that you're having to holler a a G right and high left, or if you're driving that tractor. If you're looking back, what are you going to do? That row ain't going to be straight. You're going to have a messed up looking field. You're going to have to keep working over it, Right? Looking back to the field, you take your eye off of the other side, which is where you're going, so that that road would be straight. The picture of the one who looks back reminds me of the story of Lot's wife. Y'all remember her from the book of Genesis, right? And God sends the angel of the Lord, tells Lot and his, his, his family to get out, and he gives them strict instructions, leave the city and do not look back. Well, Miss Lot wanted to see what was going on. And she looks back, which was in complete disobedience, and she's turned into a pillar of salt. In verse 51 of chapter 9, look what, it, look what it says. It says, And it came to pass when the time was come that he, being Jesus, that he should be received up, steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus didn't say, all right, let's go to, let's go to Jerusalem. No, wait a minute. Let's go back to the Mount of Transfiguration. Oh no, hey, let's go back to this other place. His ultimate work was to go to Jerusalem and as he set out to fulfill his mission, there won't be no turning back. Once you sign up to, once you sign up to be, an, to be a, a disciple, once you trust the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul, once you follow him, you're, in, you're to be in it for the duration. Once you set your hand to the plow, which is following Jesus in true saving faith, you are not to look back to the life that you left behind. Jesus is to be your focus. The would be disciple of this passage had a divided heart. There was no way that he was going to be fit for the kingdom of God because he was still holding on to the kingdom of this world. The issue here, when you get down to it, is salvation. The issue is coming into the kingdom. If you've ever wondered what the issue was here, some people think that it's some kind of second-level discipleship, but no, verse 62 makes it clear. Jesus simply says, look, if you're holding back anything, you can't come in. If you're holding on to anything in this world, if you won't give up everything and come through that narrow gate and follow Him, you can't be His disciple. Salvation is for those who who come to complete and total self-denial. The Lord may not take away all of your comforts. He may not take away all of your possessions. He may not take away all of your relationships, but there's no negotiating with any of it. You're simply saying the infinite value of the gospel of Jesus Christ is so great that if he asks of it, I'll give it up. If he requires it, you know what? Have it. You gave it to me anyway. I'll give it right back to you. You do with it. I'm yours I belong to you, I am yours. You saved me, you're all I need. In closing, John MacArthur writes, so responding properly to Christ is not a matter of emotion. It's not a matter of an event. It's not a matter of a momentary acceptance or a decision. It is not some superficial interest. It is not even a matter of saying, I will follow. It's not a matter of words. It's a matter of self-denial. Total self-denial, a willingness to give up everything because the value of Christ is so infinite. The sinner has reached that level of desperation by the prompting of the Holy Spirit. He who doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me, Jesus said. And he who has found his life shall lose it, and he who has lost his life for Jesus' sake shall find it. It's all about losing your life. It's about hating yourself it's about not holding on to anything it's that it's the beatitude attitude and again we're not told in this text how these guys responded but as i said in the onset of this message we can pretty much discern that they walked away they didn't like what they heard they're too busy holding on to the things of this life things that they held more precious more valuable more worthy than jesus they left They walked away. They left to hold on to their worldly loves, their worldly treasures. What a sad decision. For the pearl of great price was right there before him. That pearl of great price is available for all those who sell all. The treasure hidden in the field is available for those who sell all. That's how it is with true followers of the Lord Jesus. They've entered into a life of following Jesus. Truly following. Truly following devoutly, all in all, following Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the testimony of Scripture. We thank you for the things that we can glean from it. We thank you for the things that we can learn. Lord, we thank you for what it reveals to us about ourselves. Father, we pray that we would be found to be true, heartfelt, sold out, all in all followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the treasures and the comforts that you give us here on this earth. The the, the, the abundance, the food, the houses, the, the, the clothing, all of the comforts we know are gifts from you. All good things come from above and come down from the Father of lights. But Lord, help us to have the right mindset of them. The Lord that If you see fit the us of comforts, you know what? That's fine. They came from you. You do with them what you have. All we need is you. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes focused firmly upon you. Draw us so close to you, O God. Lord, let our walk with you grow closer day in, day out. Lord, help us to be faithful, obedient disciples. Faithful, obedient children of the most high God and help us Lord to show others their need to forsake everything of this world even as good as shiny as valuable as something may be on this earth it can not even pale in comparison to the immense value indescribable worth and value that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You are the treasure. You are God. And we thank you, Lord, for all these things we ask in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen.